Well, good morning. I would invite you to return in your Bibles to the book of Acts. If this is your first Sunday here, we are studying the book of Acts. We are going through it thought by thought, and we have left off at chapter 3, verses 22 through 26. I want to remind the kids in the room, we, should, uh, we got it worked out to have your pictures scrolling up on the screen, so I think they'll be scrolling after the service. I don't know, hopefully. Um, but uh, if, you, if you're new here and uh, you're in the service, young person, and you want to draw a picture of anything that uh, I am talking about, anything that you hear up here, if you want to draw a picture, you can bring it up. I'll be right up here after the service, and you can bring me the picture, and, uh, and then we'll get it up, up, up on the screen next week so that they'll scroll through, and uh, you can see your artwork. You guys, those of you who have turned in pictures these past several weeks have loved them. Is a great artist, so I've really enjoyed seeing your pictures, so please keep them coming. Well, before we jump into Acts 3, I would just ask if you could just bow your head with me as I open in a time of prayer. We'll just pray together. Father, I thank you now that we can come here and to uh, sing of Christ, our prophet, our priest, our king, and his greatness. I pray, Lord, that our time now would be sweet that it would refresh our souls. Lord, we need to hear these words. I pray that we would cling to them. I pray that we would uh, find our anchor and our hope. And I pray for those with troubled hearts that they would see the anchor of Christ and, uh, and, and be refreshed today. And Lord, uh, may this absolutely change us so that we might love you more and walk out of here encouraged knowing that you are truly God and truly in control. Thank you for the privilege we have of being in your word. May it do its work and make us like Christ. And I pray this in his name. Amen. This week, as I was looking at Acts 3, in these few verses that we're looking at this morning, I was reminded of um, the testimony of Mortimer Adler, who was a, uh, a philosopher, and historian worked at the University of Chicago. I've shared his story before, but I want to share it again because it's a very fascinating uh, testimony. Mortimer Adler, uh, some of you might know that name. He's the guy probably credited for reviving classical education in, uh, in the West. He put together the great books, if you've ever heard of the great books and of the Western tradition, and he kind of collected all these books and said, these are the, you want to understand true uh, Western thought, here are the hundreds of books you should be reading. And, um, you know, just a very, very deep thinker. He, uh, he was a Jewish man and came to faith in Christ very late in life. And his process of coming to faith in Christ, uh, some of you might remember this story of what had happened to him, but this is uh, his, his story. He's sitting around, because he, he's a deep thinker, he was thinking about God one day, and he thought to himself, well, if there's a God, this God would have to exist in two realms. He would have to exist in, in a spiritual realm, and he'd have to exist in the physical realm. He'd have to. He'd have to be, in one sense, outside of creation and bigger than creation. And he'd also have to exist within creation. And, and so if there is a God, that's where he would have to exist. That was his first thought. So then he said, okay, I've come to the conclusion that that, that would be the, the fundamental nature of God. Then he started reviewing all the world religions, and he threw out all the religions that didn't fit that criterion. Many religions just kind of have God being 
in creation itself. You get reincarnated and, and you stay within creation. He's saying, okay, there's no transcendence in that. So he throws out all those religions. And, and he throws out all the religions that have God kind of out there but never with us at all. So he, he basically landed on three religions that fit this criteria. The first religion that he looked at was Islam. He said, okay, that's the first one that he looked at. And he said, okay, well, here's a fundamental reality. Islam uh, is not what he called a primary religion. Here was his, his reasoning. He said, okay, well, I can't really believe that Islam would hold the truth because its scriptures are based upon the Old Testament. So if the Old Testament was proven to be false, the Quran would collapse. But if the Quran collapsed, nothing would happen to the Old Testament. Therefore, he throws out the Quran. He says, this can't be true. He says, well, I'm a Jewish man, so I'm going to start looking at Judaism. So he begins to look at Judaism, and as he's looking at it, he says, this is it. This is the truth. But you're left hanging when you get to the book of Malachi. It doesn't complete itself. And so now he's, he's left with this anxious feeling inside of like, okay, there, there, there is the truth, but yet it's still kind of unresolved. And then he says, well, I, I'm going to look into Christianity. And he picks up a Bible and he opens up to the book of Matthew because he's already studied the, the Old Testament. And he reads, Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. It says, hallelujah, this is the truth. This is what completes the promises here. Now, I thought about this story his, his testimony, because I, I thought about the fact that when what we're looking at here in Peter's sermon is Peter's concluding this sermon, and what he does is he ties Jesus to the Old Testament. And he says, here's the reality. There were promises made about the Christ, promises made about the Messiah, and this one man fulfilled them all. Every promise made, he fulfilled. That's kind of where Peter goes. That was the message that actually God used to, to open the eyes of this philosopher. And, uh, and I realized something. That message is actually a very important message. So much of the reality and our understanding of Christ is actually rooted and grounded in the Old Testament. It's rooted and grounded. God made certain promises. God made certain claims. God declared certain things about this one who would come. And those things that he declared were all about resolving the problems that came because of sin. And if you're going to really understand Jesus, you have to understand everything that God said leading up to his coming. So that you can understand what he's resolving. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to see what Peter does. Here's where Peter goes with this. He's concluding his sermon he refers to three Old Testament names. Okay, You can see them in your bulletin. He refers to Moses, he refers to Samuel, and he refers to Abraham. And he says, now I want to tell you something. Jesus fulfilled what Moses said. Jesus fulfilled what Samuel and the prophets said. And Jesus fulfilled what we learned through Abraham and what happened in Abraham's life. And what he's saying is, now if you can understand... What Moses, Samuel, and Abraham said, you would understand who Jesus is. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at these just few verses, 22 through 26, and we are going to unpack these three people, these promises that were made. We're going to slow the train down a little bit because when Peter preaches, he just throws them out. He just says, okay, here's what we said, Moses, Samuel, Abraham. 
because he's got a Jewish audience and they would understand what those prophets mean. What I'm going to do is I'm going to take the time and we're just going to slow it down and we're going to look at Moses and we're going to look at Samuel and the prophets and we're going to look at Abraham and we're going to look at the promises that those guys offered or what was offered through them by God and then we're going to see how Jesus fulfills those. And here's what we're going to do. After we kind of go through this journey together, I believe that this will benefit you in many ways. Number one, I think it's going to just absolutely make the picture of Jesus so big to you. It's going to be great. But the second thing, second very practical thing, is that have you ever found it hard to be in a conversation with somebody and try to turn the conversation about Jesus? You ever find that hard? Like, wait, you know, you hear me say, you should go out and engage. You say, okay. So you're sitting and you're talking with somebody at work and you're like, how do I, like, convert this to Jesus? You know, it's kind of like, you don't want to, you know, sit there going, wow, yeah, it's, it's cold outside. And, and some people are going to have fireplaces and fireplaces have fire in them. And fire reminds me of hell. Can we talk about how, right? like, how do you do that? Like, you don't, you don't just sit there and, like, you know, you're at work trying to figure out, how do I take this talk about snow and bring it to Jesus? It's a tough journey, isn't it? Well, the reason why it's tough for us actually, is because I'm not certain we fully understand Jesus in the Old Testament. And I'm going to show you, I believe, hopefully, Lord willing, at the end, how if you can understand Moses, Samuel, and Abraham, understand the promises that were made, and understand how those promises touch the very angst in every human heart. And then... Once you touch that area of every human heart, once you touch that, you can show how Jesus resolves that. So I think this will, will be very helpful as we go through it. So at the end, I'll try to tie it all up and show you how if you can really grasp this in the Old Testament, it will help you in your conversations with people today that talk about Jesus. So let's jump in. Like I said, we're going to go kind of slow through this. Peter's preached this sermon. It's his second sermon. He's preached one already, and uh, 3,000 got saved. He's preaching another one. He's in the temple. If you recall, he's healed somebody, and that healing has drawn a, a crowd, and he's standing out in this courtyard, and he is proclaiming the gospel, and he's already told them, the one that you wanted dead was the Messiah, is the Messiah. Repent and have your sins forgiven. Be refreshed. Know you'll have a future with God if you would repent of your, your bad views of Jesus and embrace him as Lord and Messiah. Now he concludes his sermon. <clears throat> and here's where he lands the plane of his sermon. Look at verse 22. Moses said, the Lord God will rise up, raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him and whatever he tells you. <clears throat> and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. <clears throat> now this is a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 18. If you want to go to Deuteronomy 18, you can. I'm not going to be reading passages out of it, but if you want to look through, I'm going to walk you through Deuteronomy 18. Very simple journey through Deuteronomy 18. You have to understand this chapter, what's being said, the context of it, and then you will understand the point that Peter's making, why he is referring to Jesus in this way. Deuteronomy 18 <clears throat> is Moses is speaking to the the, those who are going into the promised land. If you remember, those who were actually going to 
go in with Joshua to the promised land were children when they left Egypt. So they left with their parents. Their parents went out. Their parents didn't believe God could give them the promised land, so God sentenced them all to death. These kids had to grow up, wait for their parents to die so that they could eventually go into the promised land. And now all the parents have died. The second generation is there. Moses is giving what's called the second reading of the law. That's what Deuteronomy means. It's just the second law, second time it's being, being given. And he's describing some things to them. And in Deuteronomy 18, here's what he says. He says, now, the priests... When you go into the land and you, 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 you start your worship of me, I don't want the priests to earn money by farming. They're not to enter business. They're to be solely living off the offerings of the people because the priests have a certain job. And the job of the priests is to stand before God and represent the people. People sin every day. God hates sin. And so the role of the priests is to go before God into the tabernacle, represent the people, give an offering so that God would accept the offering and forgive all of the people. Now, the thing that priests do, the priests represent God, I'm sorry, represent man to God. It's very important to know that. What they do not do is they do not represent God before man. What do I mean by that? They don't walk into the temple, give an offering, and then God speaks to them and says, now when you go out, tell them this, and then come out and tell them. They don't do that. They don't speak for God. They only go in as the representative of man. And they give their offering. Now the problem is this. People want to hear from God. They want direction from God. So after Moses is done explaining to them how the priests are to earn their living, he gives them a warning, and he says, now whatever you do, do not get sucked into spiritism. Now why is he giving them that warning? He's giving that warning for a very specific reason. The priests are going to go, they're going to give their offering, but you're going to want to hear from me, so it would be very easy to start getting into kind of wacky religious beliefs of the people, thinking you can hear from God if you do this and do this and, and drink, take this drug, and all the things that was involved with the pagan religions where they could hear from God. He's saying, don't do that. I hate that. Don't get sucked into spiritism. Instead, wait, because I will give you a prophet who will speak for me. So I know you are impatient, right? Human beings are impatient. God, why don't you tell me now? I need to know now, right? He knows that about human beings. He knows human beings need to have every answer and everything resolved right now. And waiting is not really in our, in our gift mix. So we're okay with a priest going and representing us. Good, get our sins covered, but I need to hear from God now. And so what's the temptation to go off into spiritualism? He says, don't do it. I'm going to send you a, a prophet, a very specific prophet. And here's what this prophet is going to do. He will speak my word to you. And when he speaks, you have to listen to him. Because the other thing that God knows is that when God does speak, we don't actually like to hear it. He, in fact, he references uh, Mount Horeb in Deuteronomy 18. When the law was being given, and you know this thunderous voice was coming from the mountain where the people were saying, Moses, tell it to stop! Right? And so he says, don't be like those people. Don't be like your parents. Whenever I spoke, your parents freaked out. Don't be like them, is what he's saying. When that prophet comes, 
listen to him. Because he's going to give you my word. And if you don't listen to him, you're in a bad place. So Israel was waiting for this prophet to come. The one who would give the word from God. Israel did not believe that any of the prophets that came after Moses were the prophet. They were still waiting. They were still waiting for him at the time of Jesus. In fact, in John chapter 1, verse 21, um, John the Baptist is out there, and he's being questioned by the religious leaders, and they said, are you Elijah? And he says, no, I'm not Elijah. Then they said, are you the prophet? You the one? And he says, no, but he's coming. He's the one who's coming right after me. So what does this have to do? Why is Peter referencing this? This particular prophet is the one who actually will speak the very word of God. Now let me put that in a way that you might understand that uh, more experientially. God made the world, right? He made the world. And sometimes, because of sin and other things, we go through trying to figure out, how does this thing work? What is happening around us? We need a voice to kind of explain things to us. That's what Jesus was coming to do. He was going to come and tell us what God thought about the world, what God thought about history, what God thought about you, what God thought about your purposes. What... He's going to tell you everything. That's why Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. When I speak, I am defining for you all of reality. And one of the things that, that studying Jesus does, always does this for me, is it suddenly puts the world in perspective. It puts the world in perspective. When he starts to deal with my heart and he starts to deal with my fear, my worry, my anxiety, my anger, my bitterness, my lack of forgiveness, whatever, he begins to speak to these things. When he starts to speak to my heart and challenge the issues of my heart, I suddenly begin to see the world completely different. You see, Jesus is the one who defines reality for us. He's the voice of God. And when he speaks, we listen. So Peter is saying, listen, I want to tell you something about Jesus. He's the prophet. He's the one who's speaking the word of God. And you should actually get to know what he has to say. You should actually have his logic, his mindset, his, his wisdom be the very thing that runs and governs every way that you think. And the great thing about Jesus is that he gets right down to the root of every issue that we struggle with. Everything we seek to understand, he gets right down to the root of. When you commit yourself to saying, I want to know what he says. I want to know. See, he's the prophet. But Peter's not done. He moves now from, from Moses to Samuel and the prophets afterwards. Okay, so we've got him. He's the prophet. He's the promised prophet. He's the prophet of God. He's a coming prophet. But notice what else he is. He's a coming king. Verse 24. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who have come after him also proclaim these days. So now he's saying, okay, this prophet's coming. And then he inserts Samuel. And he kind of jumps right into Samuel. And he says, now Samuel and all those afterwards kept talking about this one who would come as well. Now what, what does Samuel add to the conversation? Well, Samuel builds on this idea that he's not only the prophet, and Samuel begins to explain something to the people. He explains to the fact that not only is this coming one going to be a prophet, he's going to be a king. 
Now, let me just give you a little background on Samuel. Samuel, prophet, right? We, we, you can, we, we studied a few years ago, 1st and 2nd Samuel. He comes on the scene when the prophets weren't doing a good job. Eli and his sons were wicked men, and they weren't really speaking the word of God. And, and, uh, and so Samuel comes along, and Samuel basically comes to Israel, and he has three major messages for Israel, three very important messages. The first message that Samuel comes is he says this, it's found in 1 Samuel chapter 8. And he tells the people, don't look for a king. Don't look for a king. You see, what every human being wants is we are looking for the leader who will make everything right. Isn't that true? If you, you know, you, you just stop and you think, like, if you just watch 24-hour news, what, what is it that we are talking about right now? The 2016 elections, right? The president. And everybody is looking for their president. And will that president be the one to finally fix the mess we're in? And we kind of have these presidents from the past that we idolize, this handful of them. We say, oh, we're looking for the next so-and-so or the next so-and-so. I think this one's the next so-and-so. I think, I think we found the next so-and-so. And once we get that next so-and-so, everything's going to come together. Human beings want a human leader to rule over them. Samuel says, quit doing that. Don't do that, because I'm going to tell you something, Samuel says. Every king, in the end, will serve himself over you. Don't do it. That's his first message. Second message, found in 1 Samuel 12, is he says, keep your eyes on God. Keep your eyes on God. God is the only one who has a plan for the entire world. God is the only one who's got this whole thing figured out, and God is the only one who's going to do what's best. Trust God in his time. Now, the problem that you have is that when the world starts to fall apart around you, you need an answer now. At least that's how you feel. Because, right, what's the, what's the one tool never in the human toolbox? Patience. We need it now. You don't understand, God. If you don't resolve this now, then everything's going to fall apart. You see, my emotional experience is more important than your divine wisdom. And, and I see it clearer. My emotions always see things more clearly, right? That's, isn't that true? Right? At least that's how we feel. And so he says, trust God. I know it's tense. I know it's rough. Trust God. And then his third great message is found in 2 Samuel 7. David, this is the king that God picked for Israel. David comes along and says, I want to build you a temple. And God says, no, I'm not going to let you build me a temple. In fact, here's what's going to happen. Through you, I'm going to send my anointed king, the one that will rule over the earth forever. And he will rule with justice. He will rule with righteousness. He will be the ruler, the king. The great thing about Samuel and all the prophets that followed Samuel is they kept directing Israel's hope to the coming king, to the one who would rule with justice, to the one who would rule with righteousness, to the one who really is in control, to the one who's never panicking, to the one who's never self-serving, to the one who's doing exactly the will of the Father perfectly. And all of the prophets from Samuel onward kept directing Israel's attention to say, don't look to human kings to be your answer. Look to the king of kings. Look to the Lord of Lords. 
And all the prophets afterwards would kept reminding Israel, even the lesser kings of Israel, the ones that God put into positions of power, he would remind them, you're not the king of kings. Please subject yourself to the king of kings. To the one who rules. Now what does that do for us? Well, here's the reality for us as human beings. We do want to trust in human leaders. We do want things to be resolved right now. We don't like chaos. And the Bible doesn't throw out the need for, for lesser kings. The Bible doesn't throw out the need for presidents and mayors and governors and city councils. It doesn't throw that out. But it's the recognition that my hope is not in them. My prayers should be for them. And there's the difference, right? My hope is not in the president, but the president will get my prayers. God, rule through them. Let, rule through them. Use them to bring peace so that your name might be proclaimed. But I'm not going to put my hope in the next the great man or the great woman, whoever it is that's on the, the line. My hope is in Christ. He's the king of kings. And I intercede to the greater king on behalf of the lesser king, that the lesser king would rule with fairness and that peace might be in the land. Samuel reminds us, do not put your hope in a king. Give him your prayers and put your hope in the king of kings. Jesus is the king who's come. He's the anointed one. He's the one that's going to rule. So when, 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 when Peter references Samuel and all the prophets afterwards, these people who were immersed in the scriptures would say, oh, he's not only the prophet, he's the king. But then there's one more that comes. He's not only the prophet and the king. Then he references Abraham. He tells us he's the savior. Look at verse 25. And you are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now you see, now these prophets had come. They prophesied about this time. They prophesied about a covenant. They prophesied about a people that would embrace this covenant. He's saying, you guys are that it. You guys are that generation. You guys are those people that the prophets long for that would actually see the arrival of the anointed one. And then he says, and not only are you these people, God made this promise to Abraham. Notice the promise. And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. What's that promise? The promise is this. God said, he told Abraham in Genesis 22:18, a seed is coming from you. And the great thing about this seed is that when he comes, the one that's coming through you will actually bring salvation to the world. He will actually resolve all of the issues in the world. That's a great thought. The promised one is here, who brings salvation. He brings blessing. And you are the ones who get to receive it. In fact, notice what he says in verse 26. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Something hit me in this passage. I was looking at it. Notice what he says. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first. What hit me about this, hopefully I can make this clear. I'm not sure if this will make sense to you. I want you to think about something. Jesus, when he was on the earth and he was arrested, he was beaten by the soldiers, right? And Pilate put him up before the people two times and said, you know, I, I'll let one person go, either Jesus or Barabbas. Who do you want to let go? And they said, give us Barabbas. Give us the murderer. 
well, what do you, what you ought to do with this guy? Kill him. Are you sure? Yes, kill him. Really? Him? I don't find anything wrong with this guy. Kill him. So you've got a mob of people, thousands of people, saying, kill him. Okay, now, I want you to think about something. If you're Peter, or any of the apostles, and, and you witness that moment, how would you feel about all those people? They were yelling, kill him. Right? In the human flesh, you'd be like, wow, God, kill them. You know, right? In the human flesh, you'd be like, I cannot believe that these people actually said, kill him to the Messiah. They were given multiple opportunities to let him go. And they yelled, crucify him. And then they, when they marching Jesus through the streets, they were spitting on him and ripping out his beard. I mean, just all these horrendous things these people did. But who, where was the first mission field Jesus went to after he ascended into heaven? The very people who said crucify him. That was the first mission field. The first group. He says, this one that you said kill him is now coming to you first. And you guys are hearing this message. The first 8,000 converts of the church were made up of 8,000 people who said crucify him. That is the mercy of God, isn't it? I mean, that is the mercy of God. Jesus hanging on the cross going, Father, forgive them. They are clueless. Clueless. And God answered that prayer. 3,000 a few days ago got saved. And we're going to see here 5,000 get saved at this point. 8,000 people. I just find that amazing. He's saying, no, God has come. He's coming. He's not only coming to these people. I think first means not just these people, but even to Israel itself. The very people that had rejected him overall, even not just the people who said crucify him, but the whole nation that had said, we're not embracing him as our Lord. That's where he went. But here's what he's doing. He's turning you away from that sin in which you live your life as if Jesus really isn't Lord, which we've talked about in the past is the first step of repentance. First step of repentance isn't to list out every little dirty thing you've done this week. The first step is to say, I don't really follow you as Lord, Jesus. I don't see you as that role in my life at all. And I repent of that. And I repent of treating you as if you're just an add-on to my life. An app I put on my little life screen here. But you're everything. And I repent of that. And so he says, now he's come. This Messiah is the Savior. He's the one that can bring salvation to the world. Not just to you, but to the world. Okay. So what do we do with this? We have three names mentioned. Moses, Samuel, and Abraham. Moses promised the prophet, one who would speak from God. Samuel and the prophets following promised the king, one who would rule with justice and righteousness. God told Abraham that through him, one was going to come who would bring salvation to the world. Now, what do we do with this? Well, I said at the beginning... If you understand Jesus in the Old Testament, you're really going to understand Jesus in the New Testament, and you're going to be able to talk to people. So let me give you some ways that this addresses the human heart. It would be very easy to understand this one reality, that this world is a confusing place, isn't it? It's difficult. 
This week I was on the phone with a man who uh, called, kind of an interesting little journey how he ended up getting my number. He's a pastor, and he is from uh, Africa, and his wife was from Rwanda. His wife was a little child when that Rwanda crisis happened. Those of you who know what I'm talking about, 21 years ago, it's a big genocide that happened, killed thousands, thousands of people. And this girl was a child. She lost 80% of her family, and her dad was thrown in jail, and she was shipped off to Kenya, and horrible, horrible things. And the stories of cousins getting their arms cut off and legs cut off and just horrible abuse. That, and, and she's a little girl witnessing all of this. And when you go through life and you witness that kind of horrendous thing, it's easy to say, none of this makes sense. And all I'm doing in life is collecting a bunch of bitterness and I'm collecting a bunch of confusion. And, and, and I'm going through life trying to figure out how A and B don't equal C because it just seems like it just is all getting messed up. Is there anybody that can speak to this? This girl, when she was in college, heard the gospel. And she heard about the love of Christ. And she heard about God's plan to redeem people. And she heard about the fact that God is patient. And he's allowing a little bit of chaos to go on because he's redeeming people out of that chaos. And one day, though, he's going to make it all right. But in the meantime, the chaos is going on. But one of the ways that we, we can talk about this king is that we can recognize that he's a forgiver and we can be forgiven in him and we can forgive others. And guess what happens? God took a bitter heart and turned it into a forgiving heart and she began to forgive those who killed her family. And she began to recognize that, that, that right now she's on this planet to extend that forgiveness and that reconciliation. And once that forgiveness took over her heart, she was right with God and then she suddenly became right within herself. And all of the shame and the yuck and the, and, the, and the fears and the worries, the anxieties that ruled over her were taken away in Christ. And suddenly she began to be right with others. Even though they couldn't even make it right around them. Those people never apologized for killing her family. She didn't need them to. She forgave them. And she walked around with a spirit of forgiveness. That's what truth does that's how truth can speak to the human heart that's how truth can say you can be reconciled eternally you can be reconciled internally and you can be reconciled with everyone around you you can in christ if you hear what he has to say you see how jesus speaks to the human heart that's what the old testament was trying to tell us these problems you're having, these worries you're having, these fears you're having. Israel, you're so worried about everything. Do you understand? One is coming who will speak truth. Listen to him. It'll resolve you. You can be resolved at all points in your life. You see, what about a king? Well, the reality of life is that those people who did those horrendous crimes have never really been brought to justice. And you can feel anxious and you can say, well, why don't we get the United Nations over there and get a war tribunal and throw them all in jail? You know, it doesn't happen. You put those tribunals together and people pay people off and, and it's the system becomes unjust and you say, where's the justice? Where's the justice? The justice is that there is a king who rules and will one day bring perfect justice. Why doesn't he bring it now? Because he's patient. And if he brings it now and you're not right with him, that's bad for you. That's bad for you. We will endure 
We will endure for the sake of salvation, the injustice of the lesser kings, so that we could redeem people. If God came back today, there would be people in my extended family that would not be in heaven. So God, please hold off until they get saved. Right? But there is a king who rules with justice. And that justice will come. Be at peace. It will come. You see how Jesus being the king resolves that? What about the Savior? Well, here's the reality. What about people out there in the world who just live in all kinds of craziness and they've done all kinds of horrible things and, they, and they're so ashamed of their life and they're so ashamed of their past. They're, they're, they've done, maybe they've, they've been involved with all kinds of horrible, wicked, evil practices, witchcraft and horrible, wretched things in the world, things that they say, God would never accept me. I've done too many bad things. But you see, there's a promised one coming who is the Savior who can go anywhere in the world, and no matter what you've done, no matter what you're ashamed of, no matter what happened to you, that salvation is eternal. And that blessing can extend to the furthest reaches of the world. So whatever is going on in your heart, it doesn't really matter. Salvation, the salvation that the Savior brings is deeper than the sins you've committed or that have been committed against you. It's deeper. The promise to Abraham is it's coming to the whole world, and God knows what he means when he says that. That why? You see, if you understand Jesus in the Old Testament, you can speak to the human heart. And this is what Peter was doing. Guys, he's your, he's your voice. He's your truth. He's your king. He's your savior. Embrace him. So, what do we do? Let me just give you a couple thoughts. We'll wrap it up here. The one reality is for us to remember that repentance begins by how you view Jesus. Is there any way in your life where you have said, I, I'm really not acting as if Jesus is Lord. I'm really acting as if the rest of the world is Lord. As if my circumstances are greater than Jesus. I want to repent of that, and I want to today say, Jesus, you're my Lord. I really believe it. You're my King. You're my Savior. You're the one who speaks truth. I repent of really not spending time getting to know you and what it means. I repent of living my life caught up in my own pleasure, my own fun, my own schedule, my own agenda, my own career. I've lost you. I want to repent of that. The second reality, second thing to think about beyond just our own just walk with Jesus is to realize once you understand these things about Jesus, let's start talking about it. Let's start tying Jesus to the reality of the human experience. And let's show the world what it means that Jesus is truth. Let's show the world what it means that he's king. Let's show the world what it means that he's savior. And then thirdly, I think we should remind each other of this and pray for each other. You know, if somebody's hitting a rough spot, you know, we don't need to get on the phone and go, remember Jesus is Lord, right? We don't want to be annoying like that. Right? <laughs> but you can get on your knees and say, I'm just going to pray for your family tonight. I'm going to pray for you guys tonight. I'm going to pray that, you, that, that somehow God would show you that he's in control. That it, it's okay that it's out of control because you never had control. I'm going to pray, Jesus, show him that you're in control. Let him see your lordship tonight. I can intercede and pray. And I think we should be praying more for people in that way. And really making sure that we unite together around his lordship. Would you bow your head with me? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, 
you define reality for us. Just cannot help but think of people who who have not or have been who have been touched by the horribleness of this world and it gets confusing at times. I pray, Lord, that your truth and how Jesus defines pain, how Jesus defines suffering, how Jesus defines hope, how Jesus defines this world, how Jesus defines our experience in this world. I pray that those words would just take root, that his truth would take root in our hearts, and especially those who are in trials, give them that perspective. And Lord, for those of us who are just worried, we're worried about the state of the world, the direction of the world, we're worried about things being out of control, may we remember you have established your king on your holy hill. And the kings of the earth, they might fight, they might war, but you laugh at them, and you call them to repentance. And I pray, God, that that would be true, that we would remember that, that we put up with times of chaos, because you're also the Savior, and you're saving people. I pray for people in this room who might feel as if their sins are too great, that you you would never love them, that they, 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 they violated you. Maybe they, they've heard about you even when they were younger, and yet they did things that were wrong, and they feel like you would just hate them. And Lord, may you show them today what it means to be you are the Savior. And that though our sins are bad, the cross is sufficient. God, may they find rest for their souls. And Lord, give us just the ability to remember this, to to repent of the ways that we don't follow you, and to embrace you in this role, and then to pray for others, that we'd all begin to start seeing this. Lord, would you raise us up as a people of prayer, and that we just begin to start covenanting together, that we'll pray for each other, that we would see you in this light. Thank you that Jesus is everything prayed in his name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing again together.